Maui Nui is on a mission to help balance axis deer populations for the good of our environment, communities, and food systems on the island of Maui. They've shared over 126,000 pounds of nutrient-dense protein with the Maui community. Secure your spot now. Become a snack subscriber and join in helping to build more resilient food and ecosystems on Maui. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I-Venison.com. And use promo code BEAR for 20% off your first order. You know what my favorite text is? A waypoint in the Onyx Hunt app to a goblin turkey. The list on the Onyx Hunt app features for chasing turkeys is long, but knowing exact public and private boundaries and land ownership details will help you find more places to hunt, whether that's on public or private. I'll be toting the Hunt app through the spring woods in a few states this year, and I recommend you do the same if you want more turkeys on your table. Also, Onyx has a special offer for you. Use code BEARGREASE to receive 20% off your membership at onyxmaps.com hunt this spring. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. My name is Clay Newcomb, and this is a production of the Bear Grease podcast called the Bear Grease Render, where we render down, dive deeper, and look behind the scenes of the actual Bear Grease podcast. Presented by FHF Gear, American-made, purpose-built hunting and fishing gear that's designed to be as rugged as the places we explore. I've had people contact me and they're like did you guys quit singing singing <laughs> yeah so I, I, there's probably a group of people that are glad we haven't sang in several months yes and then some just like think that like our spirits just shut down they're like are, are, are y'all quitting the burgers podcast you hadn't sang recently it's like a rubric of whether the, the podcast is working yeah i think it has some validity inside the idea because where there is energy and spirit and life happening, what happens? Music. Music is written. People right. are inspired. And uh, so for millennia. So I almost so my, my wife Misty Newcomb is here on my left. And I almost if she'd gotten here just a little bit earlier, I would have said we're gonna play. Okay. But this I is what I'm gonna guarantee. Late. Next <laughs> Bear Grease render. Keeps coming up. That we're here. Okay. We're gonna play. Okay. I had a song request. I can't remember what What's it up? was, but the guy sent me a video, and it was a bunch of otters singing about barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> That'll oh, work. Oh, man, it's fabulous. That'll <laughs> work. I love more than a bunch of singing otters. Wait, this, this, is a, this is a fantastic afternoon, and it has been a long time since we've had a burger surrender here. It's true. At the Meat Eater South World Headquarters here yep. in Arkansas. Meat I got a question. Is it, sanctioned? is it sanctioned for you to, I mean, like, you call it Meat Eater South? Is that 
I mean, has there been a formal term? approval there process I, given? I mean, papers filed. Of course, <laughs> <laughs> it's been declared. It's been yeah. There's been a declaration. So it's been a while since we've all been here, and we always have these with the with the kind of the standard crew in my office. I wish I could show everybody my office. This is like it's great. It's this, a great place to hang out. It is. I, I love I love this office. It's a visual smorgasbord. I like to pilfer. It reminded me of Will Primo's office. Yeah, man, hey, I tell you what, Will Primo's had an incredible office. It's hard to describe. He's got, I believe, it's walnut wood lined walls. Real, it's kind of dark and kind just of kind of like feels, a boardroom. Yeah, yeah, kind of feels. I, was old. Say, I saw pictures on on. Oh, he had a he had a huge original painting of a spring turkey scene with lights on it, just like super classy. Yeah, and then he had a bunch of. Uh, Freedom mounts, you know, European mounts of whitetails that, you know, he killed there. Most of them in Mississippi. And he had his collection of, like, hand-carved decoys. It, it was like a museum. You could just walk around. He had a wall that was full of the original prints from the negatives of the photographer who shot Still photos. Stay with me. Wow. On the Jeremiah Johnson film set. Oh, oh wow. wow. Will That's Primos. Cool. Will Primos is like Lake Pickle told me, and he told it for truth. He said, Clay, Will Primos has watched Jeremiah Johnson over 5,000 times. Oh and, I, and I said, and I laughed and I said, oh, man, that's cool. And I said, how many times do you really think he's watched it? And he said, no, I'm, I'm being serious. Like he's calculated. He believes he's watched it 5,000 times. I thought I liked it. Wow. He, what do they say about 10,000 hours makes you an expert? expert. And yeah. if the movie's two hours long, he's he is an expert. He's an expert. expert. Jeremiah Jeremiah Johnson. Johnson. I mean, he has a PhD, basically, <laughs> yeah. Jeremiah I, Johnson. I, I, don't, I don't know where. I never quizzed him on it, but Mr. Will told me that on his farm, there were different roads on the farm, and they named them after the characters and Jeremiah Johnson. Oh, that's cool. And... He had oh he he was saying stuff I didn't even know what he's talking about about the movie like like uh, memorabilia that he had so yeah really neat guy does he have Robert Redford on speed dial he probably does yeah so we're back in my office which I think my office would be maybe noteworthy for the for all the bear hides and the bear chaps bear chaps I, I do have a let me give you just a just a quick like audio tour okay right behind my dad Gary here I've got. Oscar Newcomb's shotgun, James Lawrence's Hawkins rifle, and a cane that Adam Dean gave me yes. from Europe that he made me. Yep. I've got a, a picture of a bobwhite quail that hung in my home where I was raised, Gary's home, for years. That was a picture of bobwhite quail. That picture of that dog is a dog that dad owned, a bird dog named Snipper. I, I painted that when I was in high school, gave it to my grandfather that hung in his office till he died. I, you swing slightly to the right, and I have all my stone points. Most of those I found on my property. On the windowsill. Mm-hmm, on the windowsill. Um, this is where I got my computers here. That's where the magic I'm just kind of swinging around. And then I have my whitetail wall. I've got, you know, I kind of quit mountain deer, but I've got maybe six whitetails mounted and then probably, 50, you know, 12 racks. But this is the, this is the coolest part to me. This is the, the, the legacy section and there are three photos up here. They're 16 by 20, like high quality photos with lights on them. And the far left image is 
James Lawrence in the late 1970s. Is that with that rifle? It's no. that rifle. Is it? Yes. Oh. It's a it's a it's a Hawk and muzzleloader, as I understand it. And James Lawrence is somebody that I've just always really looked up to, and I consider him a mentor and somebody that's kind of like family to me. So there's a big picture of James, and then that rack right there beside it is a deer that James killed on public land in the 1960s. And man, it's not a huge rack. I mean, it's a beautiful rack with big old brow tines. But when I go to James's house, I was there two days ago, and I see his wall full of whitetail antlers. I am mesmerized when I think about the hours and time yeah. that he spent hunting to kill those deer yeah. back in that time where he did in National Forest in Arkansas. So there's James. The middle picture is my father-in-law, Steve Schultz, who has been one of the most influential ever in my life. He really is. Steve is our, also our, our, the pastor of our church. Steve was a falconer. And that picture was taken when Steve was, I think, in, 19, in 1980. So basically the same time period as James. And he's holding a falcon. He's holding a, a, uh, a, a I believe it's a hawk. red tail with a ma- mallard hen duck. And it's just a super cool photo. And it's real neat for me to see these guys when they were like my age, you know. So there's Steve Schultz. And then the picture to the right Many people have said that this man looks like Elvis Presley. <laughs> <laughs> have you heard that? I have. I see it. And it's the coolest like picture. It's the coolest picture of Gary Newcomb. And it was the first deer that dad ever killed. And he's got this buck in the back of the truck. He's got his old bow. What kind of bow was that, dad? A bear. You got to be a bear. Bear yeah. bow. Yeah. And he's mustachioed. He's got a nice mustache. And then that deer is right there. I've got a mounted deer right beside that photo, and that deer is the deer that Dad killed. What do Brent and I have to do to get our pictures up there? You man look like you could have been in the Almond Brothers. Bring one, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's it what looks it like Creed. Say. It looks like Creed Bratton now. <laughs> what do you remember about that deer, Dad? Well, you know, I I wouldn't tell people about it, but I'm telling you for months. I'd be in a room with a group of guys, and I'd just say, I wish somebody would just ask me if I killed a deer this year, and no one ever would. And, and, uh, but I tell you, it, it meant so much to me because, you know, it was a bow kill, and back then that was kind of different. What year was that? 77. Yeah, that was way different. Yeah. In South Arkansas, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there weren't a lot of people killing deer with a bow very consistently yeah you know and I, I was pretty lucky on that deer he was trailing a doe and i was on the ground oh you killed it from the ground i killed it on the ground not in the stand that's even so, better quite the deer yeah yeah so that's a tour of the office and then i've got bear hides hanging from hooks an old rock slide yeah some bear big bear skulls yeah and then i have one big mounted bear in the office which is it's not the biggest bear i've ever killed but probably the most valuable bear to me personally i've ever killed killed on uh, National Forest, public land, last day of the season, shot the bear in the head, snuck up on it while I was asleep. Not a joke. Um, pretty incredible deal. Yeah. But anyway, a couple of things. We're going to talk about, we're going to talk about this turkey podcast, but I also want to give you guys an opportunity to talk about the Clower podcasts. Because Brent was the special guest. Yeah. The Brent, pretty boy. I, had, yeah, I still oh, ain't got a picture pretty, up in here. <laughs> Pretty, Pretty boy, boy Brent. Brent. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to talk about we're going to talk about Clower. We're going to talk about turkey hunting. We've covered a lot of ground. Mm-hmm. D- 
what y'all think of the last render crew? They did okay. B team. Yeah. Yeah. I, I gave them a B. I gave them a B plus yeah. for, because they recognized all of us on here. So. They got yes. funny accents. Oh, Josh, yeah. you're from Michigan. Your people are from Michigan. Well, my people are. Uh, yeah. I've yeah. spent way more time in the South. Hey, I was I was pretty happy that Steve Rinella knew who Clower was. And he didn't just know uh, who Clower was. Yeah, that he, was he knew. Oh, I he was, was he was passionate about Clower. Yeah. Which I, I was impressed with. I was I actually thought they did, I thought they did a good job. I thought that it was yeah, a very they entertaining they podcast. Did. They did All a great right. job. I'll admit I it. was a little hurt when Brent got the call out and Josh and I got the shaft. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. That is the price you pay for fame. So. <laughs> yeah. I just feel like hey. a micro celebrity. When you run in this circle, <laughs> micro celebrity. <laughs> when you run in this circle, you got to be prepared for that kind of hey, stuff. Hey, talking about micro celebrity, did you guys know that Misty Newcomb works for Wild and Whole, which is a brand inside of Meat Eater? Absolutely. What? We've never, awesome. we've never, true story. We've never uh, officially said this on the podcast, yeah. but so Wild and Whole is like a sector inside of Meat Eater that, how would you describe Wild and Whole? Wild and Whole focuses on, in the sense that Meat Eater focuses on hunting, mm-hmm. it is primarily focused on hunting. Wild and Whole is more focused on uh, preparation of food and sourcing of food. And so they look at farming, homesteading, foraging, gardening, gardening. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And so Misty... She works for them, and she does a lot of stuff about her garden, about cooking. Yeah, just about feeding our family. Yeah, wholesome. And so you can follow Misty at wholesome food at Newcomb Farm. At Newcomb Farm, I do. That also reminds me of one of my favorite George Bush Jr. isms when he was talking about. He was giving this speech, and he said, "We got people out there working hard to put food on their family." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Wild and old, putting food on your family. Yeah. Put a cheeseburger on me. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's great. While speaking of food, while we were out just before this, Brent was telling me a story about his turkey hunting mentor, Mister <laughs> Leon. Oh yeah. And now, so Brent's going to tell a story, and let me just say, you're just going to have to hold your horses okay. until you come to too many judgments about the direction this story's going. <laughs> okay. Okay. Brent, tell, tell him about Mr. Leon. Mr. Well, let me let me let me tell him first. Okay. While we were talking about that, I was telling Brent about Tecumseh. Okay. This is potentially some foreshadowing, but I'm doing a little research on a Native American leader named Tecumseh. Wink, wink. Who was arguably one of the most prominent, skilled indigenous leaders of of at least modern history that we can record of Native American stuff. Tecumseh was kind of a peculiar guy. Uh, he, he, broke, he broke his leg when he was like 16 years old, riding a horse, shooting a buffalo, and he walked with a limp. And he was always real weird with uh, taking on a wife. And he, he had three wives, different ones, but he, he never stayed with them. And he was always just he'd kind of like take a wife and then be like, eh. And his second <laughs> wife, Mamita, one time, he had killed a wild turkey. And this is why this is relevant to this podcast. It's April. Whether it was a goblin turkey, I don't know. He killed a wild turkey, and he took it back to Mamita to take care of. And she plucked the turkey, which is interesting that she plucked it. She didn't breast it. And she served it to Tecumseh and the family. This isn't a joke. This is a real story. When, when it was served, there were still some pin feathers on the plucked bird. 
and it embarrassed and made Tecumseh so mad that when dinner was over, he he got up and he said, you're going to have to leave. He said, we're done. He said, you brought shame on me and I cannot tolerate this. And he essentially divorced her. What was wrong? What was wrong with that? With his actions, <laughs> Clay sent me Let's this. Let's just say that it Judy was... would know better. Clay, oh yeah, I could actually read it. Go ahead, Misty. Yeah, Clay is reading this book somewhere, and he clips that part out, takes a picture of it, and sends it to me. And I read this whole story, and I get to the bottom and see that he sent her away for you know not proficiently plucking a turkey. And I wrote back and I said, "Hey, Clay, is this a threat?" Listen, <laughs> listen. Here's the exact here's the exact section that says Tecumseh discovered a few small feathers still stuck to it. After his friends left, he handed his wife her clothing and told her to leave. (laughs) The astonished woman asked Tecumseh why he was banishing her because of the turkey feathers, he replied. Her entreaties to stay met with a cold rebuke. No, you must go. I am ashamed of you. We may separate forever. And he drove her out. How dare you? It's crazy, Wow. (laughs) So after I told Brent that story, Brent tells me this story. But before... You go, if you like stop the podcast and you go, these misogynistic, you know, people don't think that, but just listen to Brent's story. This was in 19, this happened in 1946. It it could, it was either 45, late 45 or 46 when Mr. Leon got home from the war. This was the guy Brent worked with. I worked with. He was a, he was a turkey hunter, and you know, Will said something about calling turkeys with a briar leaf or a green leaf. Mm-hmm. Mr. Leon could do that. He mm-hmm. used to, he used a greenbrier leaf. He sounded just like a turkey. Anyway, he uh, told me that one time, well, right after he got married, so they spent they had a one night honeymoon. They went to the house that they lived in. This would have been in 1988 or 89 when he told me this story, and they've been living there since they got married. And he said the first morning that after their honeymoon went with the first night they spent there, he got up and she was in the kitchen cooking breakfast. She said, "What do you want for breakfast?" And he was walking outside to bust some wood up. He said, "I want two eggs over easy. I want some grits. I want some ham and the eggs. I don't want no pepper on them and in a cup of coffee." And out the door he went. He went out and he starts busting wood. She calls him, "Leon, your your breakfast is ready." He comes back in the house, sits down at the table, pours himself a cup of coffee, and she sets the plate down in front of him, and it's got everything he wanted, except it had pepper on the eggs. And he said, he, he said, I thought to myself, if I should say something about the about the pepper, but then he said, no, I'm just going gonna, gonna to start this off right. I'm not going to let her get away with this. And I picked that plate up. I held it at arm's length and just slowly dumped it out in the floor. Oh. He said she was standing behind him, and he handed her the plate. And he said, I, my intention was to tell her, I said, don't put any pepper on my eggs. He said, I think I got to like the first P in pepper when I assumed she turned that plate up edgeways and hit me in the top of the head with it. <laughs> <laughs> he said, because the, the scar when I woke up matched like the edge of a plate. He said, it, in the morning had gone, it was up midday, and I had laid there, knocked out, unconscious in the floor for so long. <laughs> <laughs> that the yellow on them eggs that stuck to his face and dried, <laughs> and he said it sounded like duct tape when he raised his face up off the floor. <laughs> he said, I stumbled around in the house, and I looked, and all her clothes were gone. He said, we didn't have but one car, and it was there, So, but we did have a phone, but her mom and daddy didn't have one, He said, and they lived in town. He said, I assume that's where she went. He said, so I got in the car when I could see, and I drove to town, and sure enough, that's where she was at. And her daddy told me, he said, she ain't coming right now. But she said she'll be home and when she gets ready. She said a couple of days go by, and she comes home, and it's right before supper, time to start cooking supper. 
She come in, didn't say a word. They cooked supper. They went on like nothing had happened. Went to bed, got up the next morning, same routine played out. He started to go outside to do his chores. And she asked him what he wanted for breakfast, and he told her the exact same thing. <laughs> Grits, ham, eggs, no pepper. He said, I went outside, done my chores. She called me back in to eat breakfast. I sat down, poured a cup of coffee. So she set that plate down in front of me, and he said, it looked like a can of pepper <laughs> poured on top of them two eggs. So I, and I had no, Mr. Leon was not an easy, I loved him, absolutely loved him. But he was not an easy guy to get along with. So I know this, this story where this is going, he's fixing to dump this in the, in the, in the floor again. And I said, well, what'd you do? He said, I've been eating pepper on my eggs ever since. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. So... Uh. The lesson there, I mean, there's lots of lessons in, in that story, but adapt and overcome, I think, would be. Hey, and I like that. He told you that story in 1982? No, that would have been like 88 to 89. Okay. And he was still married to this woman. 40 years ago. So, Absolutely. You know, apparently they worked they through it. They figured it out. Oh, Maybe yeah, they Leon worked it out. Yeah. He All worked right, it out. Tell, tell me about the way Leon, about his entry and exit routes he uh we worked in the woods we managed timber for georgia pacific and our office was in fort ass arkansas at the mill where the mill was at and we'd go in every morning we'd get our orders from the forester or which tracked uh to go either mark for cutting or whatever we were doing we had to leave and go out in the woods to do it and every time we would come back in if we went out one direction he would make us come back another way we never took the same route back to the office, even if it was the quickest way. And this went on for, I was just a young fella now, and he was, like I said, a World War II vet, so he was older, and he just, he put the orders out there, and I said, yes, sir, and we did them. But this particular day, it was in August, and it was so hot. And we'd been out marking timber all day, and we didn't, there was no air conditioning in the truck. We got through with work, and he said, all right, let's go home. We got in the truck, and we started home and i said i'm just gonna go straight down the highway like we come up here be be quicker go back home he said no when you get down here take a ride on such and such road we're gonna go the back way i said mr leon i'm hot i'm tired i smell it's hot in this truck i want to go home he said no take that road up there so i took the road and when i was taking the road i asked him i said we have been doing this every day not one time it would come back the same way, even when it would be quicker. Why are we coming back a different way than we went out? And he reached in his pocket, and I'm driving, I'm watching him over there. He never even looked at me. He reached in his pocket, and he took out a cool menthol cigarette, and he lit it. <laughs> he took a puff off of it, and he's staring out the window. He said, son, have you ever been ambushed? And I thought, ambushed? Uh, no, sir. He said, well, I have, and we ain't going back the same way we came out. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a habit he got into in the South Pacific fight in World War II. And Mr. Wow, Leon. It, it served him well. We never got ambushed we the whole never time. Never, the whole never, time. With him. never go back Hard to argue the with. same way you came. The science is good. Yeah, That's pretty incredible. Well, hey, it's uh, we're recording this in early April. The Arkansas Youth Turkey Hunt and season is this coming weekend. And so the people I have here are Misty Newcomb to my left, Brent Reeves, Josh Lambridge, spillmaker. Good to see you, Josh. Good to be here. Gary Newcomb. So we, we're 20 minutes in. I'm just not introducing you. <laughs> but I wanted to – so me and Josh, we have been youth turkey hunting with our kids – 
for long time. I mean, last year was the first year that I think you didn't go because you yeah. kind of had kids that kind of my kids have crested crested out yeah. of it. But me and Josh had some pretty incredible years of youth turkey hunting, and I wanted to tell one of my favorite stories. We where we're hunting, it's pretty it's it's pretty cool because during the youth hunt, you can find birds because when birds are are not thick, which in Arkansas, you know, yeah. if you listen to the last podcast, you heard us say that 60% yeah. of our birds are gone. Mm-hmm. So back in the heyday, we had a lot of birds. They're easy to find. But what happens across the landscape when birds die out is that there'll be pockets of them that they're fairly thick. So that's why it's kind of confusing to some people because you might be in a pocket a good turkey hunting and be like, what's the big deal? We yeah. still kill turkeys. And it's like, well, but every other place doesn't. Well, on public land... Everybody knows where these little pockets of turkeys are. And during the youth season, you can usually slip They're in there, not there, especially if you camp there, <laughs> yeah. you can go in there. So me and Josh and the kids did that for, for years. years and had great turkey hunting. Yep. I mean, we could just walk out from our camp and yep. expect to hear a turkey and killed a few. Mm-hmm. But the best story, well, there's two stories. There's actually three. <laughs> the best one was the kids were, I want to say, Willow and Mallory, our oldest daughters, were probably like... Mallory was probably 11, 12, Yeah, maybe? 11 or 12. So and Willow would have been 10. 10. Yeah. And oh, we had we had two little girls, and I think David was with us, yep. and me and Josh. So there's there's five of us. And we we hear turkey gobble. It's like late in the morning, and... Riv was also on this one. Rivers. So there's yep. six. six of us. Uh-huh. Yeah. Six of us. Yeah. Four adults, kids, four. two adults. <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. And... Well, who had the gun? Willow. It was Willow's year. Nope. No? David had the gun. David had the gun. There were seven of us. There were, we were all there. We David, all- Mallory, Willow, River, Clay, Josh. Okay, six of yeah. us. Yep, yeah. six. Six of us. Anyway, nine o'clock in the morning, late in the morning, I yelp, I hear a turkey gobble. We've got the kids all camoed up on the you know face paint, and yeah. we're just ready to go. And 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 our it, kids were pretty good at being still and quiet. Yeah, we'd trained them yeah. pretty good. And this turkey gobble is so close that I'm just like, get down, everybody, you know. And and we're giving orders like, you you two sit here, you two sit here. And the person with a shotgun maybe was right with me. Yeah, and you were sitting, sitting back behind. Me. Yeah, David yeah. was right with me. Yep. Well, man, directly here comes two big long beard gobblers. I see him from sixty seventy yards. And they're kind of walking up to our left. And I've got Mallory and Willow at a tree, like arms reached for me. David, the gunman, in between my legs right here. These birds are coming up like this. And we had told the kids, you know, uh, over the campfire all these years, we'd say stuff that dad used to tell me, which turns out was probably a lie. He would say, these turkeys can see the whites of your eyes. I mean, a, a dad that when he's trying to inform his kid about turkey hunting, you're trying to scare them into yes. being still. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, these turkeys can see the whites of your eyes. We told the girls that and, and David. Well, these turkeys come in and they, they gobble out in front of us. And they, they, don't, they never strutted, but they were just beautiful coming up the ridge. The turkeys come in, and David was just a little kid, and, and I couldn't get him on the turkeys. And they stayed out at maybe 30 yards. Yeah. And they were kind of in a weird, at a weird angle, too, if yeah. I remember right. It, just, it was just one of those deals. I just couldn't get him on him. But the birds were really in range and close, and, and they milled and they circled, around. they circled back around the tree. Almost, I remember it was, I mean, they weren't 
10, 15 feet, but the way they were at, we couldn't get a shot on them. Yeah. And so the bird finally goes off. And I mean, he's gobbled and we've seen him and the kids are just like, oh, that's great. Right. And so we, after they leave, we're all standing up and I say, man, wasn't that beautiful? I mean, I'm trying to interpret for them. This is like a magnificent thing that's yeah. just happened. We didn't get him, but that's okay. And Mallory, Josh's oldest daughter, goes, <laughs> oh, man. And I said, Mallory, what did you think? Did you see those turkeys? And she said, no, I never saw them. <laughs> and, uh, and she said, you told me to keep my eyes closed. <laughs> and when she heard those turkeys coming, she shut her eyes tight, man, and she never <laughs> what opened What a sacrifice them. for the shooter. Oh, bless her heart. She never she didn't opened want the her, eyes. her eyes to scare off turkey. One thing you can't say about me, I mean, she is Straight like an arrow. Oh, yeah. Is she gonna do Black right or white? No <laughs> gray area. It was it was so funny because she was dead serious. I mean, she was like, I didn't even I didn't even see him. <laughs> and she's so happy knowing Mallory. She's yeah, so yeah. happy oh. that <laughs> And then as the kids got older the next year, David was again the shooter. We heard birds, but we had a different strategy. Me and David went in yep. kind of like fifty, we sixty yards ahead and all the behind. kids sat back. And so we called in a gobbler, and David had a single shot 410. Break open. Break open single yep. shot 410. And we called a big gobbler. And, man, he comes in to shooting range, and I'm just like, shoot him, Let David. him have it. Yeah, he's probably 25 yards, which is, you know. Yeah. But he wasn't coming any closer. He would not. I mean, he was there for 20 minutes probably. He would oh, before, not come any closer. Well, but, but when he finally yep. came in, David gets on him. And, you know, David's probably 10, 10 years old. Yeah. Boom! Shoots, and that turkey just kind of like jumps up in the air and hits the ground, and I start calling. Mind you, this is a single shot, and I think the hunt's over. Sure, but when I call, that turkey just kind of looks at me and starts kind of just doesn't run off, and so I say, David, load up another, load up another shell, and so I'm you know trying to break this gun over, and David's scrambling for a bullet, and he puts another bullet in, and I say, shoot him again, and so he pulls up that four Tim. Boom! Shoots. The turkey kind of jumps up, and I work, 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 work. How many times did he shoot? Four times. That he four shot at the turkey. Uh, I mean, a long beard gobbler. And four four times. times just didn't have enough to and, reach and out so there. And so all the other kids, Josh and the little girls, are all back there, and they hear him shoot, and they're like, "Yes, David got one." And then and then here, boom! <laughs> they hear him shoot again, and they go, "Oh, I wonder if he got it." And then, boom, they him shoot again. Like, he's stacking those like cord. He wood. must have killed two. And then the fourth time, you, you guys had to have been like, something is yeah. alive. They having a shootout. Is the, the turkey, turkey shooting turkey back? Shooting back. <laughs> and, oh, man, we walked up. I remember David and I walked back to him, you know, and we're just like. Heads hung low. We're just yeah. like, man. We, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Anybody got an extra box of shells? <laughs> <laughs> he's still waiting for us out there. Oh, and. He shot at another turkey that same day. Yep. Do you remember that? Good night, nurse. He, he, we were in him <laughs> thick, man. I'm beginning to think that hunting might not be David's game. <laughs> yeah. no. You know, when he was 16, he killed a big When big he was gobbler. 16, some of the most beautiful pictures that I have. Remember when we had turkey camp? We had a backcountry turkey camp where we went back in, took a mule, mule. Yep. and took all the boys and David and man, we walked up on top of the mountain, that daylight, was, that opening was such day, a fun hunt. wind howling. Yep. yep. Hadn't been in there to scout, just kind of thought there might be one in there. And I mean, no more than sat down and called up two big gobblers. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, 
The youth awesome. hunt's the way to go. Yeah, pretty cool. Yeah. Why didn't you take me youth hunting? I didn't like you. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's funny. Back in the day, like, uh, I don't know, we just didn't have, maybe we didn't have youth You know, you didn't season. show any interest in turkey hunting. I mean, a lot of stuff I did, you know, you're like going, I'm too cool for that. But the whole time you were absorbing all these little stories I was telling, and as you got a little older, you know, you were going like, yeah, man, it's, I want to do some of this stuff. Yeah. Do you yeah. remember that year when, when you first took me hunting down Polk County and <laughs> we went out hunting? We found a, you know, when, when I was listening to this podcast, do you remember us finding that nest? Yes. With eggs in it? Mm-hmm. And then we proceeded to get lost for hours and hours and walking miles and yes. miles this back. This was before oh, that. smartphones. Yeah. And- yeah. Yeah, we camped out there. Oh, yeah. 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 That was pretty fun. You know, I've seen a nest just right out in the middle of the woods. I'm sure mm-hmm. everybody that's probably turkey hunting a lot has run into that. But yeah. I'd only encountered it one time. I mean, I'm just thinking, I think I would have put it over around some brush or something. Oh, it was just like not. Yeah, just on the side of a hill and right there. I mean, you could see How it. many turkey nests do you think you found? One. Just one? One. I mean, I, I've seen where I, I just knew there was a nest because I could tell the way the hen was acting, and I'd go in, and I never could find it. It's like yeah. they kind of hide them. Yeah. This this bird was. I think I think some some statistical group of hen turkeys will do that. I mean, they might just put it right out in the open. And then some others are real clever with the way they hide them, you know. But uh, I think I've found two turkey nests. How many turkey nests have you found, Brent? Well, I worked in the woods, so I was in the woods every day. I've a bunch. A bunch? A bunch, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, a bunch of them. What did you find, kind of in the brush or out in the open or what? It would be... Mainly in like woodlots, you know, you'd get a, a group of uh, or a stand of timber or an edge of a edge of a like a pasture. I mean, it wouldn't really be hidden. I mean, a lot of the a lot of them I would find only because I got so close to the hen. She jumped when up when she jumped up and flew. Or I, if she'd have stayed set, I'd have probably never seen it. Now, what doesn't make any sense to me from a biological perspective is why those eggs are so bright. Would it not make sense for those things to be just brown brown camouflage? I don't know. Maybe it's something for the for the turkeys to identify to find them back. You know, I I don't know. But I've thought about that too. Yeah. You know, like different colors of eggs. Like you know, some chickens lay brown eggs and man, if if I if I were president of the turkeys, yeah, I'd suggest that we need different color eggs. I think first prime minister. Maybe that would be a way that we could help the turkey population. system. We could uh, we could have different colored turkey eggs. Misty, have you ever seen turkey eggs? I have not. Mm. I have. I've gone so turkey hunting. What? What? Mike, Doctor Mike Chamberlain, Wild Turkey Doc on Instagram. Well, he is. He he has a pretty interesting. Yeah. Well, he has he has a real interesting story. Um, he works for the University of Georgia and is a is a turkey researcher. And he went on the Meteor podcast a couple of years ago mm-hmm. and all of a sudden just rose to national prominence in a lot of circles. Now, in the academic circles, he was always kind of where he was at. And there's uh, there's lots of other incredible turkey biologists that are around the country that, you know, are his peers. Mm-hmm. But he kind of was in a unique situation in that he kind of rose to like some have some influence in kind of the mainstream culture world which is kind of interesting because usually academia 
has a hard time reaching kind of pop culture. And that's right. what Dr. Chamberlain has kind of done. And he, and he did it through being on the Meteor podcast. He'll tell you that. I, I, I asked him while I was there, and he was like, oh, being on the Meteor podcast is what, you know, got us this. And But he is a very articulate, passionate, very knowledgeable, neat guy. And he's the one that introduced to to many of us, I, you know, lots of people would have known this, but I knew a fair bit about turkeys, and I would not have known the details of the predation stories on these turkeys. But I mean, turkeys are just designed to die. Yeah, to fail. <laughs> <laughs> they are born to die. <laughs> yep. That's and a good way to the, put the, it. the the to hear him talk about the he tells a story of this great horned owl, and I, I didn't go into all the detail, but he. He had he did a research project on where he had collars on a whole bunch of small game animals in a certain woodlot. He I believe he did this while he was in college. So he had like possums collared, a pair of raccoons collared. He had uh, is that like a banded mallard? If you can he had uh, collared, some collared kind of birds possum. that he was measuring, and he was trying to measure how these animals interacted in this kind of wild space. Mm-hmm. And he said that a male and female great horned owl moved into that area. And, and so they would get a dead signal when one of their animals died. You know, if it didn't move for four hours or something, right. it would send a signal. And he said that a male and female great horned owl killed every single one of his research animals. Really? <laughs> You're kidding. I'm not kidding. Killed them all dead. I mean, it, it wiped out his research project. He said it actually made him happy because it was like a two-hour drive to get over there. <laughs> and he had to go over there yeah. like four times a week to do his radio work or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they're voracious Assassins. predators. Assassins. Really? They, 40 they, miles an hour. They, yeah. they fly 40 miles per hour. They weigh three pounds, but they kill Gracious. turkeys. Yeah, They I, kill yeah. goblin yeah. turkeys. I mean, and, you come in at 40 miles an hour. Just bam. Yeah. Hit them. I had a and, buddy had a had a uh, a coon squaller snatched out of his hand one time. Really? No way. Yeah, by a hoodow. Are you serious? Yep. And he got it was on a leather. It actually wasn't a, a coon squaller. It was a predator call. Mm. And he and my brother were standing on the end of on at the front of the truck, and they were trying to to get a coyote to run up in. It's right at dusk, trying to call a coyote up into the road where they could shoot it. And so he was sitting out there blowing that predator call, blowing, 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 old Johnny Stewart call. He said, and the next thing he knew, he's my brother was at the back of the truck watching that way and said he could hear flopping and and Joe Tyree sitting up there <laughs> cussing and having a fit and scared and hollering. He looked and he said, and it was Al trying to drag him and that predator call out in the ditch. <laughs> Holy cow. Yeah, he had big old cuts on his hand from them talons. Wow. Oh, so it goodness. heard so it come, it come it right heard to that something sound. in distress and thought that it was a dying rabbit. I guess so. Wow. Well, wow, that's crazy. I believe it. I believe it. Voracious predators, man. They uh, And these turkeys are just born to die. As a parent, nothing keeps me up at night more than the idea of something happening to my children. But if something happens to me and I'm not around to protect them, that's a true nightmare. Having term life insurance for myself is crucial because I can rest easier knowing my children and loved ones can have some financial support even if I'm not there. That's where Fabric by Gerber Life comes in. 
Having life insurance just gives me that extra confidence throughout the day, knowing that my family will be financially cared for if something bad happened to me. Fabric by Gerber Life is term life insurance you can get done right here, right now. You can be covered from your couch in under 10 minutes with no health exam required. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash bear. That's meetfabric.com slash bear. M-E-E-T, fabric.com slash bear. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. Ready to win Mother's Day and cement your reputation as the best gift giver in the family? Give the moms in your life an Aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. She'll love looking back on these memories and seeing what you're up to today. Even better, with unlimited storage and an easy-to-use app, you can keep updating mom's frame with new photos, so it's the gift that keeps on giving. And this is not a joke. Juju Nukem has an Aura frame, and we share photos, and they're incredible. Also, my mother-in-law has one. We have them. They truly are really good, really high quality. The Aura frame is easy to set up. It takes just two minutes to set up a frame using the Aura app. It also adjusts the display depending on light levels in the room to maintain the true color of your photos. For real, the digital screen is amazing. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame when you use code BEAR, B-E-A-R, BEAR. That's AuraFrames.com. Use code BEAR at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Whitetail Institute launched the food plot revolution in 1988 with a concentration on research and real-world testing of forage products specifically for whitetail deer. Whitetail Institute's research and development team of agronomy experts provide effective, personalized service. I've been using Imperial Whitetail Clover for a long time in a food plot back behind my house. In 2007, I killed the biggest buck of my life over an Imperial Whitetail Clover small quarter-acre food plot. Imperial Whitetail Clover is the only clover scientifically developed through years of selective breeding. Clover Extreme Genetic Stability provides extreme cold tolerance, disease, and drought tolerance. It really does. Clover is coated with Whitetail Institute's Rain Bond, a polymer coating added for enhanced seedling survivability. They have an exclusive offer for Bear Grease listeners, 15% off Imperial Clover when you use the code BEAR at whitetailinstitute.com. That's whitetailinstitute.com and use code BEAR for 15% off. What was so interesting to me about the whole story of this podcast, because I, I I interviewed, you know, Mr. Will Primos, who's just a legend. And I, I can't say enough cool things about being around Will. He's one of those people that you meet and you kind of will never forget him. Just kind of the way he is and the the... He impacts everybody he's around. He's around just by how disciplined, how focused. And I wouldn't have seen that. You wouldn't have seen that with him out in the turkey woods. But when you're sitting with him in a room for a couple hours and you kind of get to know him, just very focused, very disciplined, very passionate, passionate, very teaching oriented. 
<laughs> everything he does, like he'll tell you about it. You know, he'll be like, he'll he'll like with his eating. I'd met him for like forty five minutes and already knew what he ate for breakfast and why it was so healthy. And he does it every day. You know, he's he's really yeah. passionate about everything he does. And it's it's hard not to be impacted by people like that because you see the yeah. intentionality with which they live. Uh, that sound bite that that you played on there with the guy who's killing the turkey was that him? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. It it said Josh uh, in a voiceover. It said, "This is Mr. Will Primos." <laughs> okay. I, somehow I missed that. Mm. Yeah, pay attention. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Got a little bit tense in here. Sometimes the sometimes my you brain doesn't get work. Canceled. Now I'm gonna get canceled. Um, well, I had a good run. It was a, it was, <laughs> yep. right, well, you can see yourself out. So I interviewed Mr. Will, and as I go into some of these stories, I don't really know exactly the direction it's going to take. It's not like I had this totally scripted out in my mind. I knew he was a turkey expert. I knew that Dr. Chamberlain was a turkey expert, and I knew I wanted to bring them together, not physically, but to have them in the same podcast. Right. And as I'm talking to Mr. Will, it becomes crystal clear that his you know, part, a component of his success in the game call industry and in the video industry came because of the resurgence and these very good populations of turkeys and the innovation and all that that spawned. And it's, it's like it, it, it kind of all came clear. And then hearing Mike Chamberlain talking about, and he didn't know about the conversation I'd had with Will, you know. I was just talking to him about turkeys. And he was like, man, our turkeys in the southeast populations peaked in mid-90s and 2000s. Yeah, it was very correlated, wasn't it? It was. And then it became clear to me that my ideas and the foundations of the way that I think turkey hunting ought to be came about during that time while I learned when I learned to turkey hunt back in the 90s. And you remember me, you heard me say that that place that you heard 10 or 12 birds in the same morning, mm-hmm. you knew where I was talking about. No. You didn't? <laughs> well, kind of. Kind of. Where I killed my first turkey. Oh, yeah. Holy smoke. See, yeah. the reason I went in there was because like the Saturday before you came out of there and you said, man, I bet I heard 10 or 12 turkeys just you know, throughout the whole morning. And so you have these ideas of what turkey hunting should be like. And then when it's not like that, everybody's upset about it. I mean, like everybody in this part of the world is just like, "Oh man, yeah, you know, just they're 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 upset about it. They're blaming agencies and all this." Yeah, it kind of helped me to see that there's a there's a bigger thing going on that's that is it is inside of our control, but the control is going to be kind of it's going to be harder to wrangle the control than it would have been thirty years ago. Yeah. I mean, partly due to there are vastly more people on the landscape today than there was 30 years ago. It's kind of hard. It's kind of like a slow burn. But I mean, think about anywhere. Think about where you're from, Dad. Think about this little community we live in here. I mean, there's a Dollar General there, and there used to be a woodlot. There's five different landowners where it used to be one big farm. And those five different new pieces of property all have new houses built on them. And they cut their grass with a lawnmower and they do this and they do that. Um, Timber companies in national, you know, the timber harvest in national forest here is different than it used to be. Um, And then this is the main takeaway that I would say to people is that, and Dr., Dr. Chamberlain said it, but predator communities are so different than they used to be. And the rise of the meso-predator, 
the mesopredator, which is a mid-sized predator, Misty. Skunks, possums, coons, foxes, coyotes. Bang of my existence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The mesopredator. Mm-hmm. And, and in the big, the giant picture, the reason there's so many mesopredators here is because all most of the apex predators are gone. Right. The black panthers are gone. <laughs> the wolves, Says who? Not the all wolves of them. are gone. Not all of them. Now the bears are back. And I know a bear will eat a turkey nest around here. Um, but really, it's like there's so much space for predators inside of an ecosystem. And if one of them leaves, other ones rise up. And, and, and man, I mean, we just didn't have coyotes 30 years ago like we have today. Um, and they're just wearing the turkeys out. And, and my chickens. Man, tell them about your chickens. I mean, I don't, it's, it's kind of an emotional topic. This but. fits perfectly <laughs> into me never trusting a ground nesting bird, even a chicken. Tell them. I mean, we lost 19 in one, one night this did winter. Did they eat them or did they just kill them? So there's, there's two stories here, Josh. We we lock up our coop like it has an actual yeah. lock. And I had some young chickens in there and it was icy. And it was icy for four days. And I put some grain in there. I usually just let them, you know, roam around. Right. But because I knew the predators were out, because whenever you get really low temperatures like that and right. ice for days, they come out. And so I put the grain in the coop. And then I put a wood box in front of the door so that if, we won't say who, but Izzy the mule decided <laughs> she wanted that grain and uh, went over. Izzy can unlock the chicken coop. Izzy can unlock the chicken coop with her nose. She can undo the lock. So Izzy went, and that's what she did. She unlocked the coop. And then those predators came and pulled, because Izzy can't move the box. You know, like she just. Why did they move the box? I think it was one of the predators. No. You think Izzy moved the box? Coyotes. They, they lack opposable thumbs. I don't think they well, can move the Well, I don't think box. that. I think with their body, you can see it's scraped. <laughs> My coop was scraped around the edges. Point being. It's point being. Something, we, we, we lost, lost 19 chickens. In one night. Most of their whole bodies were gone. Really? Most of their whole, I mean, they were gone. So All we had was feathers. Was a whole well, pack. So the only reason we know what it was, I was I was gone that, at that time. Is My neighbor has a cell camera kind of on the edge of our property, uh-huh. on his property. Yeah. And I told him, I said, man, something's after my chickens. Well, I, the reason he knew something was after my chickens is because one night I turned loose my dogs on it right after it happened. Like I went out. That was, that was actually a different time. There, it was a rough winter. We, I've we got had story multiple, after story yeah, after story. Yeah, multiple chicken kills. And one night I went out there and it had happened, and I knew it had happened since dark. And I turned Fern loose, who is a top-notch coon dog that won't bark at anything but a coon. <laughs> And I turned her loose on a coyote, and turns out she'll bark on a coyote if I <laughs> encourage her to. And she and Tim trailed that coyote, and they made a big loop out in front of the house, circled around. Well, I already told this story on this podcast. Yeah, this is. I text my neighbor, and he says, "I'll, I'll, you know, I'll be on the porch with the AR-15." AR-15. And uh, anyway, he got a picture of a coyote. I, that was a coyote. long way to say that. Let me also say this: <laughs> I had, I got fifteen more baby chickens, and. I was super proud of them because they, they made it, you know, it was a rough winter and these chickens made it a long time. And I was out there looking at them one day and Clay and you guys all went squirrel hunting and Clay decided to take Tim with them. Yep. And the day y'all left, I said, look, that's 15, eight week old chickens right there. That means none of them. I ordered 15. I got 15. The coyotes refer to that as a honey hole. Yeah. 15 were alive. Not the coyotes, Josh, the hawks. Oh, really? Every day that Tim was gone, every single day, off. I would go in at night and I count them. 
every day I had one less than the day before, and it stopped when he came back. <laughs> so I think that Tim keeps the hawks away. Yeah, He does. Tim will tree buzzards and hawks that land out <laughs> in the trees. He'll see them from in the house and stand up on the windowsill and, <laughs> and we'll let him out, and he'll just take off running, and he'll go tree underneath that tree, and you know the hawk, they'll fly, and he'll chase them off our property. And he's kind of like a cartoon. You know how they run in place? Yeah. Like for a second before, yeah. he gets so excited, he just runs in place on and just like screams. Floor. Yeah, it's really fun on our hardwood yeah. floor. Well, well what what did you guys think of the podcast? Awesome. Tell yeah. me, give, give me your... Uh, Takeaways, Brent. I loved it. It was, you know, I killed my first turkey in 1985. Mm. That would have been when, you know, Will was talking about when he started, when it started going up. I saw those that video, the the late fees I paid to the video store on, <laughs> on his taste would fill up a car with gas at today's prices. Primos and the Southern Boys I'm or t- whatever. I saw them all. And he, uh, they sold his calls in a little uh, store there. Savage, uh, Carl's One Stop. Mr. Carl Savage had a had a bait shop and a sporting goods store there in, in Warren. And they his calls were in there when, when they were going out. Those tapes, you know, were in there, the cassette tapes. Mm. And it was, uh, you know, it was a big deal to watch that. And um, I started turkey hunting when turkeys started, and it got better and better every year. Yeah. I saw what Dr. Chamberlain was talking about. In the growth in the turkeys, I'm sure I'm sure Gary did too. And it when when it started falling off, it was you know it was pretty quick. Yeah. And Will said something about about the older he gets and and sacrificing and backing up on killing turkeys now, so kids in the future can. I got a three year old grandson. I would hate him miss out on what Will talked about and the recording that you played. I would hate for him not to have the opportunity to, yeah. to mm-hmm. experience that yep. and what you talked about David seeing and yep. on y'all's trip. So, yep. man, if it's uh, it's going to hurt right now to back up off of that, but how you know, how I, good is it? As we say that, as and as I said that on the podcast about sacrifice, and that's kind of kind of what I ended with. You know, I, I wanted to functionalize that because I mean, like, what does it mean for me to sacrifice for turkey hunting? I mean, it, it's kind of a it kind of a abstract statement that sounds good to say but i I tried to say it's going to mean something different for everybody it may mean burning and managing just a small acreage that you have and dr chamberlain i just wasn't able to include it on the podcast because it just was it just didn't fit right but he i asked him i said what do we need to do and you know, part of his answer was just everybody needs to do what they can. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you have turkeys, make your habitat as good as possible. Even if it's just one or two things that you do to your property that helps it, that's going to be meaningful. It could be as simple as not shooting a jake turkey when yeah. you can, yeah. when it's legal. You know, may, maybe you back it off. And 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 there's there's lots of guys that won't shoot jakes, but there's lots of guys that will. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and there's nothing wrong with it if it's legal, I mean, but maybe that's a choice that we would make. And then I've gotten to the age where I can see that we're now talking to a generation of yeah. kids that is one day going to be the leaders, conservation leaders and stuff. And, yeah. you know, maybe there's, maybe there's kids that are listening or that are influenced by this time period that will be leaders of conservation groups that have to make wise decisions. But, you know, so it's kind of like, what can you do and do it where you can? And, and then there's, there are people that, that have big, huge properties, you know, that could really yeah. make a dent in something with habitat. I think that's the importance of taking kids out hunting 
Because, yeah. you know, Absolutely. we've got four kids and some of the one of those girls that you took really loved hunting and one didn't. So we've got pictures of Willow with with a turkey. But I think that all of our kids have a real appreciation for it. Mm-hmm. And when you think about, like I think about hearing Gary say that Clay wasn't really into turkey hunting. Which is a lie. Well, <laughs> it's a lie now. But I think that sometimes we gauge what we do with our kids based off of what they're what they show emotional interest in, you know, and it's like, oh, well, they like this or they don't like this. I was going to say kids like go-karting, but maybe they don't anymore. Maybe that's like, (laughs) maybe I'm aging myself What is it, 1994? (laughs) 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 They like playing video games or whatever. So those are like easy. So we we put the video game in their hand because that's the thing they like. But sometimes you got to get your kids involved in things they don't necessarily just just love. Because I think about the experiences that Clay had kind of caught up with him later on. Like he was exposed to turkey hunting. He was exposed to all these things. Yeah. They might not have been super fun for Clay at the time or emotionally rewarding, but Clay mm-hmm. Baby as an adult is... I remember turkey. dad telling us that if you dropped a chain in the back of your truck, you could get one to shock gobble. Yeah, I still believe that. Hey, hey, let me just tell the group how Clay got started turkey hunting. I mean, he was a basketball player. He was... You know, just a normal kid running around coon hunting. I'm going, what coon hunting? And uh, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, he just had so many hobbies and so many activities. And I'm out turkey hunting. And of course, he was hearing these stories, you know, but he would never act like he was too interested. It, it, it was just being a cool guy. And so. He was really one of the better basketball players in Mena, but when he got in high school, one of Zach Newcomb's very best friends just whipped Clay's fanny every day. (laughs) Even my buddies would say, Clay Newcomb's going to be the best point guard come through Mena in a long time. (laughs) Well, Clay kind of believed that. He got in high school, and the fastest guy I believe I've ever seen would just pick his pocket intentionally because I think he heard all this stuff here. You know, Clay Newcomb's going to come in. He's going to take over this thing, man. This guy whooped him every day. Clay came home one day and he goes, Dad, I know I'm not going to play college ball, but I'm going to stay with the team and I'm going to go to practices and I'm going to just monkey around, but I want to be the best hunter in Polk County. And I said, if not right then, I said it within a few days, you got to learn how to target him. And so we went out and it was just, Blind luck. Of course, I really knew there was turkeys in there, but the first place we stopped, and you probably remember where it was, mm-hmm. and we got out. You remember if we called or hooted? I, I, we just owled at them, I think. Okay, and all of a sudden, just, you know, two two gobblers right there. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, he was hooked, and within about two weeks, I felt like he was a better hunter than I was. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, he could call. He had a good ear for it, but – uh Showed no interest in turkey hunting. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was interested in basketball, being a cool guy at school, having a nice truck, all this stuff. You know, telling me that his truck had a hole in the, or that his truck leaked, water would come in the bottom of his truck. And then one True day story. I find this disclosed picture. I'm going through some stuff, and he's going through a mud hole. You can't even see the truck. This may be a, one green spot. And it did have a hole in the floor. <laughs> I remember. Water got in there. But anyway, that, that's how. So I was, I was 16 when I killed my first turkey. And so we started turkey hunting probably the year before. I mean, now I, I had been with you when I was a kid. I, I mean, I vividly remember going with you, but I wouldn't have taken it serious until. Yeah. But that's also about the time that we started really feeling like we had a lot of turkeys, We had too. a lot of turkeys. You know, mid nineties, and then uh, 
Yeah, and then I, I, I ended up killing when I was 16. And we had a we had a little pocket of turkeys. that They were just as thick as thieves, man. And real good turkey hunters would be, you know, a mile or two away, or yeah. even one guy was three or 400 yards down the road. And, I mean, they're having a tough time killing them. And we'd go in there. I mean, it, it was just like walking in a turkey zoo. Hmm. You know, it's hard to keep a kid interested in something, too, because, I mean, how many times you've been turkey hunting that you hadn't, seen the turkey yeah bunch and it's hard to it's hard to introduce somebody to that especially at a young age mm-hmm. that there's not a lot of action you know it's not it's not mm-hmm. happening every time you go out and it's, so it's, it's a challenge dad what stood out to you about the podcast Did you learn anything you, you probably yeah, wouldn't have been up yeah. too much on turkey biology yeah you know i thought about that on the way up here uh, there's not really one thing I enjoyed every bit of it because I could relate to everything he said. Now I learned quite a bit, especially from Dr. Chamberlain, Yeah, it, you know, when he started going through those five things. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, Primos was a big deal, mm-hmm. but I go back, he's talking 83. I go back to 76, 77. And I, I was getting little custom tapes from guys around Polk County that were good hunters, and they'd pass them out. And yeah, you probably remember me going around the house all the time calling. Oh yeah, and uh, you know, I, I was one of those guys, kind of stupid, but I didn't want someone to take me out and show me how to turkey hunt. I just wanted to learn it on my own. And I went a long time, and I'd get them in close. And you know, I know one day I was <laughs> bored and I tore my mouth call up had too many reads and i was just just going just making noises you know it's 10 11 o'clock in the morning hunt was over i thought and they got the goblin at that (laughs) so uh but but uh i tell you will is such a tremendous individual i mean i didn't realize that at the time you had all these little i don't want to say heroes but they were the leaders of the sport yeah. Ben Lee and you know, you just go on and on. Yeah. And uh night in hell. Uh but he is such a quality guy. There's so much to learn from him, it's just incredible. Yeah. You know, you just take what was his three passion, focus, discipline. Discipline. I mean, he runs his whole life on that. Yeah. I mean, if yeah. someone just listened to that podcast and had any desire to be successful at life. That's, I mean, he hit on everything yeah. mm-hmm. and, you know, he makes it sound like, well, he doesn't necessarily make it sound like it, but a lot of these guys just, you know, I, I got lucky and, you know, the time was right. There were a lot of birds, a buddy of mine wanted me to make a call. Well, guess what? He was passionate. He was focused. He was disciplined. Yeah. You know, he was going to be successful at it's picking something. up trash. It yeah. doesn't matter what he what did. He did. Yeah. yeah. He, and you could tell that probably his family had five restaurants. You know what I mean? They're, they're, they're smart people. They're yeah. disciplined. They're focused. He could see it. He had a, he had mentors in his family. I mean, they didn't wake up and try to be successful. That was in their DNA it, in passion. You know, that's one reason I think these podcasts are pretty successful is, I mean, there's a lot of passion that goes into them. Yeah. So I, I have really enjoyed that about Will finding out what a quality guy he is. Yeah. And then Chamberlain, I mean, 25 years of research on turkeys, holy cow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when I drove up here, I saw this hardwood 
forced. And I thought, this kind of just shoots a hole. Uh, not really follow me through on, I mean, we got all this hardwood. I mean, 40 miles of hardwood. Yeah. Okay, so rule that out. It's not hardwood here. That they predators. need. Huh? Are you saying it's not hardwood yeah, they yeah, need? Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, he, he's saying the hardwood's gone. Well, I'm driving. Oh, right, And right. I'm looking around going, what? You know, there's hardwood everywhere. Yeah, 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 I see. So, so it's, you know, here in this area, it's got to be predators. It's got to be disease. It's got to be weather. And, yeah. and so, like where we are, we got a lot of clear cuts. We, you know, they've taken, they've, they've taken, taken that some tan- hardwood. Yeah, they've taken it away from us. But it looks to me like up here. I mean, yeah, it doesn't make any sense at all why this in incredible turkey woods. Yeah, and, it, and it's, it's got to be predators. I'd say. Well, it's it's a combination of a bunch of stuff. I could I could nerd out on it, but that you're right. What you said is right, and what what <clears throat> Dr. Chamberlain said, and a part that I couldn't include was that. Every almost like micro region is different. So the difference between here and 80 miles away where yeah. you live, Dad, it's really could be vastly different, even though you, the average person would drive between here and there and think it's the same kind of country. But it's, but it's actually fairly different. So it's, man, these dang ground nesting birds. I'm telling you, if turkeys would just build a nest like a normal bird in a tree, we wouldn't have all these problems. Do you remember when we went to uh, to Folsom? Mm-hmm. Oh. We got into Folsom at like ten o'clock at night. Folsom, so it was New dark Mexico. When we went to to do the the podcast, the next morning we we stayed in this little Airbnb that that uh, that Matt's mother has, and we got up the next morning. We're driving along, and all of a sudden we looked through town, and it was my mind you, this is a town of fifty people. Yeah. The, the entire town is covered in wild turkeys. Really? I bet we saw at least a hundred. Yeah. Yeah. There's some big, big flocks, man. Yeah. That, that's what's, that also is an interesting component of talking about turkeys be in decline because out West, all people see is turkeys increasing. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's a good thing, but they're in places that they've never been before. So the same thing that happened here happened here is kind of and now we we always had turkeys in the east but the reintroductions of the 60s 70s 80s and 90s kind of put them into these landscapes that essentially had a vacant a vacant spot for turkeys yeah and and so out west they've introduced them and like the predators haven't caught up to them yet the habitat is still really good and maybe they'll thrive out there for the next three thousand years who knows but well i just want to say one thing about having people change their desires and interest and all, I think it's got to be regulated myself. I mean, I just don't think your average person, I mean, you got it. You've you got a, a, a nest of do guys. Anything different. I, yeah. I mean, you know, heck, I'm not going to do anything different. I mean, cause I'm not hunting them right now, but I mean, if I'm a kid, I could care less what yeah, you right. think. Yeah. I mean, it might have some impact, but, 90% of those kids could care less. Like if they can like, kill a bird and go to school and tell their buddies, that's all they care sure, about. Sure, yeah. sure. So, you know, you got to cut it back to one bird. You got to cut the seasons down. I mean, I would think. I mean, yeah, you got to yeah, do yeah. something. Well, and, and that and that's happening. And, and part of what we – I can't remember if that's in this podcast or the one y'all hadn't heard yet, but I, I talk about how we've got to give room for state agencies to do what they need to do. Because mm. people love to – dog on state game agencies and blame everything on them and man 
it's just ninety percent of what goes on in state agencies, I believe, is from a good heart. And, I mean, way way more than that. But but point is, is that if we all kind of were on the same team and we cut it back to one, we'd just be like, great, we can just kill one turkey in Arkansas this year. Fine, that's great, and not throw a fit about it. You know what I mean? Yeah, and education so important, and what you're doing here is part of that. But, uh, you know, they could expand their budget, go to schools. And, you know, if you're interested in the game of fish, you know, talking about turkey hunting, come in and, you know, explain what's going on. I mean, education is so much, so important. Yeah. And, uh, you know, kids would listen to that, I think. Yeah. But, well, uh, there's also a lot of people that are, I think, in this modern era of wildlife management and what's even happening inside outdoor media. Like back in the 90s, we were watching. Will Primos and the juries and Night and Hale and all these guys, you know, kill 20 turkeys in 20 minutes, right. you know, on a VHS tape. Anymore, if you watch a lot of the media, it's a lot more education-focused, conservation-focused, and it's still entertaining. It's got to be, and, you know, we like seeing turkeys get killed. Yeah. Um, but there, there are people that are like, yeah, to be a sportsman is to be a conservationist and a biologist and understand what's going on. And the landscape is shifting where people want to be. Like, it's it's cool to be in the know. It's cool to know what's going on. It's cool to see the macro picture. I think that's a good thing. And I yeah, think that's happening. Yeah, and yeah. so there are, there are private landowners. Well, and what's interesting, too, when you talk about what you can do, which can't be regulated, is private land stuff. Yeah. I think 90% of the state of Arkansas is... Um, it's private, private land, mm-hmm. and that's that's fairly good. I think less than one percent of the state of Texas is 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 uh, public land. I mean, there's having ten percent of your state being public land is it's decent. Some of the western states are a lot more. Point being, most turkeys in Arkansas live on private land. Yeah, and if uh, if you can do things for them, you know, selective timber cut burns, um, the way you manage your grasslands. How do burns help the turkey population? Oh, man. Burns are like the almost a miracle cure for a whole lot of stuff. Kills a lot of the saplings and invasive uh-huh. plants that want to grow up and crowd out sunlight for hitting the forest floor. It regenerates um, a lot of different plants that Native are, grass that are, that are fire-induced for them to germinate. It also fertilizes soil with different things that happen when it burns. Turkeys go. love a burn. Well, see, all the guys that I hung around at turkey hunting, I mean, we go, why are they burning right now? I mean, they're nesting. and I mean, see, they could educate us. They could put a little clip in the, you know, in the little yeah. folder we get that first, you know, the honey deal and, and go, look, hey, hey, boys, we're burning for these five reasons. Man, the burning is so interesting because growing up in an area with a lot of national forest, every year, just before turkey season, They'd burn the woods and, you know, smoke would come into town. And it was just kind of common knowledge that turkey hunters would be like, that's why we don't have any turkeys. They're burning the woods down, burning up all the turkey eggs. And that sounds really reasonable. It did. And it is absolutely false. But see, why don't they tell us? uh, And they probably do, and we just don't hear it. it. That's it. It's just like they... The mechanism—it's just not a perfect world. I mean, in a perfect world, we would have access to every single hunter, and they would actually listen to us without <laughs> hating. Well, burden, you. A lot of the burden falls on us to educate yourself. Yeah. Instead of waiting, well, uh, waiting on somebody to tell you about it, it you got to get out there and, and find the answer. Because I'm the same way you are, Gary. 
why is this going on now? Why is this happening? And then when I found out, when somebody actually told me, I thought, well, you know, it's it makes sense. Yeah, and a, a biologist could talk to you about the burns and the timing of them, mm-hmm. but, oh, man, the burns dramatically increase pulp survival. It's the best thing you could possibly do at that time. And, yeah, there's a minuscule amount of, of nests that might get burned, but it's so minuscule it doesn't even matter. I mean – it's just insigni- statistically insignificant, and uh, but the positives of a burn are just whew, through the roof, helping these birds. So Almost for like every that. animal, really, you know what I mean? Yeah. Bear Grease Render, Educating America. That's the new tagline. There you go. It's catchy. <laughs> Misty Newcomb, any thoughts? Just quick thoughts. How do we do? I thought you did pretty good. I felt like the turkey podcast was lacking one specific story mm. that... I think is the greatest turkey story of all time. <laughs> Just to be real honest. It, it, that turkey story isn't a... Uh, it's more of a visual story. Well, I think it's that's not what a makes spring it. turkey story. That's not a spring turkey story? It's not a spring turkey story. Mm. Well, it's one of the greatest turkey turkey hunting season stories of all time. It is about 15% of the reason I married you. <laughs> Do you, you a solid 15% am I gonna have to tell is, story? Uh, is... Hey, I want to tell you guys something. The next, I'll give you, I won't foreshadow. I will you've, tell you've already you. told it, hadn't you? I'll, I will shadow you. He didn't tell the story. No, no. no. The, the next Bear Grease after this one is full. It, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a storytelling podcast. I have oh, eight storytellers, one after another. Bam, 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 bam. Big names in the outdoor industry. <laughs> Big names in the Clay Newcomb Backwoodsman Real Deal st- book, too. Yeah, is it going to be incredible? Uh, yeah, next podcast, all about turkeys. Is this story on that? No, one? it's not. Okay, it's, I'll tell the it's, story. It's a good one. We'll end with this one. Okay. Yeah. So let me just say this. I I don't know if everyone knows this. The night before I met Clay, this is a true story. I don't know why we were even having the conversation. I was too young to be talking about getting married or anything. And I said the one, the one like absolutely no factor Deal breaker. on marriage. Would be a hunter. Did y'all know that? <laughs> I would not marry a hunter. This you is a true story. The next day, I met Clay Newcomb, and I remember when he told me. I mean, the first like conversation we ever had, he hunting came up, and I remember looking at him, going, "Oh, you're a hunter," and it was like really sad to me because I thought a, this was meant to this be. Is a no-go. She's like, "I'm sorry. I thought yeah. you were a nice guy." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he won me over with the stories. I mean, like I remember, I remember him telling stories, and I was like. This can't be all that bad. That's how he this got is... me and Josh. <laughs> he won you over with the I, stories. Do hey, you remember this story? Yeah. Well, I think so. I think I think I do. And Clay came but, to to my house right after this happened yeah. and told the story, and it has been a a Newcomb family thriller at bedtime. <laughs> for <laughs> what were you going to say, Dad? Well, I go ahead and tell tell that story. Well, so okay, it it was the fall of I was twenty one years old. So whatever fall that was, late 90s. And I was going bow hunting on top of a big mountain over there on public land, going bow hunting. And I remember I got off work. I'd been welding for Mac McDonald, building a house made of metal. And I was a welder you built for it. it. You told us you built yeah, that I, house. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, was driving to go, I was driving to go deer hunting in this place that dad had a stand. And on the way there, I was driving on an old basically a two-track logging road, an unmaintained road that at the time this would have been like, okay. I see a deer jump the road. I get out of the truck and I'm going deer hunting and I grab my bow 
and I this deer is just kind of standing out there. Long story short, I get out of the truck, walk off the side of the road, and I shoot this deer with a bow. And uh, the deer takes off running. I just tin ringed it. And I don't wait for it to die. You know, usually you wait 30, 40 minutes, but I had to go hunting. So I just fell in right behind it. And about the time it hit the ground, I grabbed its back hooves, drug it to the truck, put it in the truck, and I go deer hunting. I get up to the top of the mountain, park the truck, walk to the stand. It was dad's old ambusher, I believe. Ambusher tree stand. Climbing the tree I stand. I the deer out of the ambush. And you can, you can see that there's a big draw that comes up right in front of me. Well, Loggy bow. Was it a loggy bow? Okay. Loggy bow. And the big draw coming up here. And I've been sitting there an hour maybe, and I see a big swinging beard gobbler turkey walking up the other side of the draw from me and at the time there was a fall turkey season in arkansas and so he's walking and he's going to be 25 yards so i draw back and when he comes into an opening 25 yards torch off an arrow the arrow sails right under his beard and hits the side of the bank opposite of him so he hears something to his right you know, hit the bank. Right. I'm to his left. Right. He jumps straight up in the air, about two wing flaps, you know, and just jumps straight about 12 feet up in there, lands on the ground and, and starts to trot right towards me. So I grab another arrow and he's just coming right towards me and he gets about 10 yards and I, I just nail him. Just, I see the arrow pass all the way through him, stick in the ground. The turkey, I'm kind of on a ridge that kind of slopes off. And I can kind of see a bigger kind of holler over here. Mm-hmm. And that turkey turns and just just takes two big wing flaps and oh, just yeah. just puts his Glides wings out, out there. and just sails. Left the area code. Just sails <laughs> off the side of that mountain. Yeah. And I go, oh, dang. <laughs> I just remember seeing his silhouette up against the other mountain over there. And so I go, oh, wow. that It's going to be hard to find that turkey. So. I sit there for a little while, and it's starting to get dark, and I think, man, I better go find that turkey. And I've already got a deer in the truck, you know. And so I get down, and I just start making loops off the side of the mountain. And I I just knew the direction it went, you know. Start making just big horseshoes, you know, off down there, and make a big circle, and it's just almost dark. And there's no way I'm going to find this turkey. The leaves were real wet. It was was wet. It had been raining. I end up making it back to the truck, and I put my bow in the truck, and I'm going to leave. And I think, man, there's one little section I didn't look in. I'm just going to walk back up there. So I decide I didn't take my bow, which was a key component of this story. (laughs) And I I start walking up the road. Well, I don't get probably 100 yards from my truck walking on a, a, a road just lined with pine needles, you know, and like a gravel road. So I'm walking real quiet, and I come around like a little thicket, and just walking and I come around and I can see something you know, new area and bam, I see a turkey laying on the ground like a hen with its head up and it is probably eight or nine feet from me, like oh, from here no. to that bucket. And it is laying there and it doesn't see me. It has its eyes closed and I just freeze <laughs> and I go, what do I do? And I want like everybody to know he looks like the Heisman Trophy right now, <laughs> yeah. making this pose. And I, I, I knew that that was the turkey I'd shot and that it was laying there. Yeah. And I actually wanted to go back to the truck and get my bow and come back and shoot it again. Well, about the time that I started to do something, the decision was made for me what was going to happen. Yeah. When I saw that turkey's eyes, 
<laughs> pop open. And I could, I could, I mean, I just saw his eyes pop wide open. He sees me and he jumps up and proceeds to run as fast as a turkey can run down the mountain. Mm, that's fun. Well, I was wearing my big lacrosse green boots that all the bow hunters wore back yep. during that time. Oh, yeah. And man, I had one option and that was to chase him. And so I just take out after him. And I remember just crashing through briars and brush and limbs. And I'm running as fast as a 21-year-old Clay Newcomb can run in the rain with all his hunting gear, chasing this turkey down the hill. And man, he is losing me. I'm running as fast as I can. He's getting further and further away. And I just remember thinking, no, I cannot lose this turkey. And we get to the bottom of the hill. And one day I'm going to go back up there and see how far it is it probably wasn't that far it felt like i ran a quarter of a mile I'm sure. I, I, I'm sure i didn't if we get to the bottom of the hill and he goes down through it and he starts to pull up the ridge on the other side well i fall in just right behind him except he's now pretty good ways out in front of me we start going up the hill and man I start gaining on him. Oh, no. I start gaining on him, and all that does is <laughs> fuel me, you know, <laughs> adrenaline, adrenaline, and I know that I'm about to just run out of steam. I don't have much left, yeah. but I'm gaining on him, gaining on him, gaining on him, gaining on him, and I remember thinking, I'm going to catch that sucker. I mean, that was the words <laughs> that were formed in my head. I'm going to catch that sucker. And, man, I got up about five feet from him, and I just dove on that sucker and just <laughs> poof, just wrapped him up and we boom hit the ground and we were both so out of breath that i just laid there breathing and i remember seeing his head bing, pop up and i remember his eyes looking at me just like this right here and finally when i caught my breath and i guess he caught his too i don't know i reached over and just <laughs> wrung his neck Carried him out of there, threw him in the back of the truck with the nub and buck I just killed, and went to Misty Shreve's house. True story. Except for and the rest Snooker is now. history. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Told me the story. I took it to and your you house. Kept him. No, I remember. I remember. It wasn't the just S10. the story. Yeah, you took it to the house. You had the S10. Yeah. I remember, okay, yeah, yeah, I remember yeah. your beautiful blonde. Swaying shaggy hair. Mm. It was the late nineties. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> I remember. So you, that yeah. that story didn't qualify for a spring turkey story. Okay. Well, so. Yeah. I don't care. It's a good story. That is great, a good one. Great render, guys. Josh, closing thoughts, closing comment. Uh, I just remember the last, or the one of the first times I went hunting with y'all. Do you remember we're sitting around the campfire? Clay is telling that story. You've probably heard that story 20 times. I, I love it every time, though. It's <laughs> one of my favorite stories. I think it's the stories. part where he and the turkey yeah. are looking at each other, breathing real hard. That's the best part but of it. But we're sitting around the campfire. You probably remember this. And, uh, and, uh, these two guys pull up in this, in this, actually it was a little earlier than the campfire. I think we'd just gotten done uh, hunting for the day. This guy comes walking out and he goes, is it doc here? And we're like, uh, yeah, Gary, one of Gary's close friends is a doctor. And, uh, he said, I just got shot. Some guy had shot him in the woods, wow. saw the white of his hair and just instinctively just shot. <laughs> And peppered his back with shotgun. Wow. Yeah. And then it was Doc John Mesco was with us. That yeah. Day? Well, it might have we might have blended two stories together, but that that exactly what you said happened. Yeah. yeah. And this guy knew that I hunted with Mesco or in uh we'd went out and every place I had picked out somebody was there. And we just went back to camp and drank coffee and this guy pulls up. 
And he goes, man, hey, Gary, you got that doc with you? And I go, yeah, he's here. <laughs> and he came down and took his shirt off. His whole back was 17. He had and 17 Mesco pellets pulled out his knife and he like licked it and ran it under his arms. <laughs> and he started, he started poking him on the back. And he goes, hey, you'll be okay, man. Don't do anything. Don't even go to the doctor. They'll work yourself out. But what kind of pattern was it? <laughs> pretty tight? It was pretty wide. Oh, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't. He probably had 20 pellets in his back. Improved cylinder. Wow. But, anyway. So I, you were there for that. Yeah. Yeah. I think I was hunting. You must have been. I, I, for I, some reason, I was. I don't remember. You yeah. know, a lot, you know. Where y'all hunting in? Beirut? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Beirut, <laughs> Arkansas. <laughs> wow. But. Anyway, I, I, I appreciate the podcast because I, I think I think the way you left it was good just for people to think and do what they can. You know, it it, it I felt a little sad thinking about generations that may not have the turkey yeah. hunting that we've had. And it, it it was such good times and good memories for me, especially with our kids, that I, I want people to be able to have that experience in the future, too. So, yeah. The death by a thousand cuts. Yeah, that was very accurate. So mm-hmm. we can just do the opposite. We put a thousand band aids on it. Maybe it'll get better. Just Podcast is over. <laughs> Mic <My> drop. drop. <laughs> a thousand band aids. <laughs> Brent Reeves and his thousand band aids. <laughs> thousand band aids oh, conservation man. theory. Wow. <laughs> We're starting a foundation. <laughs> Look hashtag. out, Teddy Roosevelt. <laughs> is, that a, is that a hashtag? The thousand Brent Reeves and his thousand band aids. They'll probably make up. They'll probably make a, a bronze monument of him in his overalls one day with holding a gobbler turkey. <laughs> and oh, a Band-Aid and a Johnson & Johnson Band-Aid. <laughs> a tin can. That's right. Oh, oh, thank you, guys. Hey, there are some Bear Grease hats on the website, a tan Bear Grease hat. Oh, very nice. They're, they're for sale. Yeah, I Tan saw Bear Grease hat. They look pretty good. I mean, so you can check that out. And uh, we should have Bear Grease hats in May, starting pretty quick. And there'll be a lot of them. But they'll still probably sell out, so you, buy, you should buy them as quick as you can. And um, anyway, thanks, guys and gals. <laughs> Is that what it sounds like when it sounds? Oh. This show is sponsored in part by BetterHelp. Around New Year's, we get obsessed with how to change ourselves instead of just expanding on what we've already done right. Maybe you finally organized one part of your space and you want to tackle another. Or maybe you're taking your supplements every morning and now you actually want to eat breakfast. In the last year, I've been more diligent about going to the gym on a regimented schedule. And it's made a lot of difference in my life. Therapy helps you find your strengths so that you can ditch the extreme resolutions and make changes that really stick. Therapy is helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Celebrate the progress you've already made. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Grease today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash Grease.
I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase.